Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Welcome to Three in oh, a Bar. My stomach just rumbled. Can we do it again? Did it? It was so loud. It can't go in. It was awful. <laughs> it went. Arrgh. It's like hello, hello, hello from my stomach. Like, and hello from Verity's belly. <laughs> How, how's your belly at the moment? Is, well, uh, I mean, is it healthy? I'm on this new healthy regime. It's clearly not happy about it, is it? It's a cry for help from my belly. <laughs> yes, more on that later. Yeah, okay. Well, did, did we say what our name is? Didn't even are? say who we are. Phil Potts. And this my, is. I'm Verity Simmons. Sorry, I wondered where we were going there. That is such a disaster. Oh. And we're two professional podcasters. And <laughs> Do it for a long we make time. A well crafted show every week <laughs> featuring fantastic musicians from all over the globe. And, uh, well, this week is no different. We've got no. an excellent guest. I really enjoyed this one. Me too. This is a man who was once again given to us by those good men, Tom Carlson and Kelly Pratt. Yes. And he is a composer, arranger, songwriter, improviser, multi-instrumentalist. His name is... John Natchez. Way, John Natchez. I'm going to continue reading out his biography. Go on, here. please do. It's great. Unless you've got it, and then it can be a change of pace to have your voice. Oh no, I've I'm, I've been remiss. It's not on my phone. <laughs> okay, I'll carry on. Carry on. As a member of the War on Drugs, he won a Grammy in 2018, and is currently working on the band's follow-up album. He was formerly a member of the acclaimed groups Beirut. Yellow Ostrich and Stars Like Fleas, and has performed and or recorded with David Byrne, St. Vincent, The National, Father John Misty, Mary Lattimore, Craig Wedron, Taylor Mac, Owen Pallett, John Zorn, and Liza Minnelli. So many cool people, and you ended on a big mm. one. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the biggest, really. Um, he's done lots of films, written scores for things like Lutsu, The Climb, No Future, Light from Light. These have all won awards. Yeah. Mafak. Boo. That's great. Is, um, I listened to that one. It's really good. Yeah. Actually, I've listened to a good few of them now and they are absolutely brilliant. Lots more things. He plays more than 30 instruments. That's right. Wow. And boy, do we cover all of them <laughs> during this chat. We don't cover all of them, unfortunately. But we do have a very in-depth chat about, about his life and career. Yeah. Give us some of the topics we cover, please. <laughs> well, okay. So we <laughs> chat about his work with the War on Drugs, uh, touring with them. He actually corroborates some of the stories that Tom Carlson told us um, when he came yeah. on the pod uh, about their touring days with David Byrne and St. Vincent. So uh, we learn more about his love of museums, Weird which museums. is nice. Yeah. Great. Um, we also chat about his composition work and finding that film score writing is like his, he's got a real affinity with it, hasn't he? He's found like his natural home in, in writing for film and how much he wished he'd sort of come to that earlier on. Uh, he talks about yeah. his compositional techniques. 
doesn't he? A little we touch studio on that. as well. Yes, which is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's, it's a converted garage, I believe. Yeah, and full of incredible instruments. Now this episode, we chatted to him for for ages, didn't we? So yeah, we, we did. decided to split this one up into two. Mm-hmm. So this is part one, and part two. Yes. You can get early access to that if you join the Patreon. Oh, jump on there now. That's in <laughs> the description. But if you just want to wait, and it makes financial sense to, to just wait, and uh, you would receive. Stop talking about it, Stop it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> part two will arrive in your podcast feeds on, should we say Thursday? Should we say Thursday? Yeah, that's a nice time, isn't it? Yeah. So part two on Thursday. On part two, yeah, to tell you what happens in that one, shall we? We get more into playing with the war on drugs, mm-hmm. his beginnings in music, yeah, scar bands, he was bands. a member of scar bands, yeah. yeah, as was I, exactly, very formative experience. Oh, it made me the person I am today. That's really fantastic. Really believe that? I think uh, everyone should be in a scar band. Really. Oh, I wish I had been. Wasn't much cool for a cellist. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also dive into Liza Minnelli. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and we ask him about his Grammy. He, he has a Grammy. Yes, he does. Which I try to look. I don't know if you've seen our pictures on social media, but you can see into his studio bit. And he turned around at one stage and said, yeah, it's kind of over there. And I looked really carefully. I really zoomed in on that picture to try and find the Grammy. I cannot spot it. But if you do, oh. write in and tell us. Hello at threeinabar.com. <laughs> so, well, this is part one. Let's get into it. Yes. And we'll, uh, we'll see you at the end. Enjoy. This is John Natchez. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's Hi. it going? Hi. Great. How are you? Good. Hey, nice to see you guys. And Lovely you. Lovely to meet you. Thanks so much for agreeing to this. <laughs> oh, this is this is really my pleasure. I love podcasts. I do. I like talking. I hate talking about myself. Oh, but that's I really do. Issue. I really have <laughs> enjoyed been enjoying your podcast a lot um, oh. since I was introduced. Oh, thank to it. you. So it, it feels like it's an on. It, it, you know, it's a cliche, but it, it really is feels like an honor to be invited. Oh, you guys get some us. really great great guests. So. Oh, thank you very much. It's very nice for someone to say that. Yeah, it really uh, is. Yeah, and surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. No, no, it's lovely. It, it's really, Aww. it's like, we can probably get into this in the in like the, the official conversation, but like, I feel like there's this, what's the non-gender specific word for brotherhood? But this like, this, the global guild of musicians or whatever, like it's so, we have like, we're all weirdos. We all like love talking about weird things that no one else really cares about. And it's just like, it's like fun to, you guys have, you know, a podcast that is focused on that, you know, and I mean, with other wonderful non-musical guests too, but I, I especially love like just hearing musicians, like I have, I know nothing about like the West End scene or whatever. And like no frame of reference when you guys are sort of discussing certain things, but I love listening to it. It's just really fun. <laughs> really fun oh that's good thank you it's been yeah it's been interesting to sort of how to pitch it and how to like how much detail to go into and like who is our listener is it someone that doesn't know anything about music or or what so uh yeah i i guess yeah if there's little details that you're not you don't really understand, but I guess you pick it up or you just kind of go with it as totally. a listener. And oh, and also as a host, um, because there's many occasions where I'll feel like <laughs> I have to really, really concentrate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I try and look convincing, but I've had a couple of people get in touch with me after listening saying, you really did not have a clue what was going on there. I was like, God I really- damn! Damn you. <laughs> I've never I've never felt that. Thank you I mean, so to much, John. Perfectly, Thank you. Well, I mean, if I'm being honest, like to American ears, a British accent goes a long way in terms of oh, suggesting yes. expertise uh. and professionalism and you know intellectual wow. acuity and stuff. So you just sort of oh like with, with these ears, you hear yes. you hear those mal- 
mellifluous accents of yours. And it's like, wow, these people really, really are experts. They know what they're talking about. <laughs> this is so good. Seb, we should move out there. God. Oh. <laughs> oh, Our lives would be would, so oh much God. better. <laughs> you would be surprised. You would really be surprised at, at like how, oh, it's like, oh, they're classy. Oh, wow. <laughs> we got to invite oh. them to more things. Please do. Already, Please do. this is an excellent, um, excellent interview. <laughs> Excellent. Should we do a quick clap? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Of, yeah. Who, who Three. I'll do it. Three, <laughs> two, one. Great. Excellent. In My fact, God. I remember when, when we did Kelly's episode, I think he did it. He just led it. Yeah. And he, he led the clap, which is just, he's like, oh, he's done this before. Yeah. yeah. I, it's <laughs> funny. I haven't done a lot of Zooms. I've done less Zooming than probably anyone I know over the pandemic, just because my work doesn't really involve daily Zooms. But yeah. the one thing I have, whenever I do do a Zoom, it, there's some clapping involved, or yes. or you know, I've, I've we've all gotten used to the pandemic clap or whatever. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nailed it now. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was going to say uh, was about Tom and Kelly, and they've basically put put us in touch with loads of amazing people over there. In their country and um, in their, in their country, country. In, in America. Or, or, no, they, no, they're um, they're the rulers. They, it is their yeah. country. It's their it's their land, their kingdom, and um, yeah, everyone should should bow down to those guys. They're, I, they're I people, really but. love those two dudes, genuinely. In in um, a non exaggerated use of the word love, they're f- phenomenal guys who have been really important in yeah. my life. Both of them. Well, uh, well, Tom was uh, saying to us that we should get you to corroborate some of his stories from his <laughs> pod episode because you were also on that uh, David Byrne, Sim Vincent tour, I was. weren't you? Thanks and to did, Kelly. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Did you go on some of the uh, the day trips? Oh, for sure. Yeah, did and you? I think yeah. uh, the reason Tom probably mentioned that I don't know if he mentioned the following, but I, in particular, even long before that tour. I'm into sort of strange day expeditions when on the road and stuff and love to go Why to weird, seek out weird places. So that was like hanging out with David Byrne, you know, you, you feel like this is a being who has reached a, a level far evolved beyond yours on almost every way. But the, our shared love of esoterica was like one way in which I felt like, oh, I'm kind of like David Byrne. Oh, this is this, that's kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, of the million things that were great about that tour, that was for me, especially one of my favorite that I was going on these bike rides and doing things that I would normally be doing like by myself on tour. But David Byrne and the rest of the band were coming along and he was coming up with cool ideas and stuff. But yeah, the ones Tom mentioned were highlights in the episode. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't actually talk about it as much as maybe I would have, but the ventriloquism museum outside of Cincinnati oh, yes. was amazing. I really, really love museums like that. Yeah. <laughs> it actually relates to what we were talking about when I first jumped on that. Like I, one thing I love about being a musician is that we're part of this community with its own traditions and own language and these sort of details of craft that we can talk about for hours that make no sense to anyone else. But like, you know, especially as horn players, like you're a trumpet player, right, Seb? Like you can just be, you know, I just love like details about, actually it can get a little much, but like mouthpieces and (laughs) reeds and horns and, you know, stuff that makes no sense to everyone or, or more, more significantly like great players who no one's ever heard of or this amazing record or this crazy piece of music that you know only we know about or whatever it feels nice and i love museums or places dedicated to these sort of craft worlds like the ventriloquism museum like i don't think about ventriloquists it's not like i went there because i'm a fan of ventriloquism but then you go (laughs) and it's this you a convert now though i bet (laughs) (laughs) even even after the museum i wasn't like i gotta buy some dvds you know like that wasn't it it was more just like this is fascinating and it's this performance art world this world of i love it's not just craft i love like the dedication to performance and performing and entertaining and then the the specific evolution of this really strange craft. There was a great museum I went to in London, actually, the Magic Circle. Do you guys know oh, this? It's, oh, I haven't been it, there. No, I've never been there. It's, no. was re- it's like, and it's about magicians. It's about magicians in England. I, and it, again, yeah, because they're, not, a, they're like a secret world, aren't they, the Magic Circle? Yeah, I think Circle. it's like a secret society, <laughs> yeah. but they have a museum that's open to the public. And oh. you can go and get a little tour. And it's just wonderful. And they do a little show, but it's just like amazing... 
Think about it. And then, you know, they'll, you know, the, your tour guide is like, and this guy who was president of the guild in the 40s or what, you know, it's just sort of this rich yeah. history that continues to the present that we yeah. know nothing about. But the people in that world, it's this really important. Um, did you have to do a special knock to get in there? I'm <laughs> intrigued because I, I don't think I they think tell the, us about it. <laughs> I think the special knock is like, you know, 30 pounds online paid by credit card or whatever. That's a big you know, knock, it's isn't like, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good enough for I've got I've got a good one for you actually. Next time you're yeah. in the UK, it's yeah. a bit oh. like it's up north, so it's a bit of a trek. Okay. But it's in Ulverston, which is in the Lake District. Do you know the Lake District? I don't. In the UK? I don't. Okay, no. it's really pretty. It's very nice. But if you're in the UK, it's the Laurel and Hardy Museum. Oh, it's so niche. That's so and, um, awesome. Speaking my yeah. language, Verity. That's Seriously. Awesome. I just feel like from what you've said, it's going to be right up your street. So that, no, that's <laughs> add that I mean, one to I, the list. I will also add that I like normal museums too. Oh, okay. The British museum's all right, isn't it? It's a bit, a bit broad. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, like, it's a bit the, meh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just like exploring. It's one of the pleasures of touring, like getting to see these places. And when you have been doing it for a while, and hopefully, as I've been lucky enough, to do get on nicer tours where someone is doing the driving for you and you can actually wake up and have time. It's like when I was younger and sort of in, you know, a little more DIY bands and you're driving yourself around, I just remember thinking, oh, it'd be so great to actually be in these cities and do stuff instead of just like sleeping, yeah. waking up, getting into the van, driving yourself to the next gig, loading in all your own gear. And now that, you know, I'm lucky enough to be traveling around in a bus and you just wake up and you're like, oh, I have the whole day until 4 p.m. or whatever. You can actually do stuff. And I really enjoy Oh, that's that. magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, because so with the war on drugs, because you've been with those guys since 2014, haven't you now? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. about that. So do you, do you have a, in normal times, of course, like a sort yeah. of quite sociable touring schedule when you go out on the road? Yeah, we have a pretty great touring schedule that I, I really like. It's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's not too much and it's not too little, which is great. I've been in bands like Beirut with Kelly. We just didn't like playing that many shows there were like a lot of days off and kind of short tours war on drugs is pretty standard i think it's like we average about three days on one days off four days on one day off that kind of thing which is great but also like i was saying the schedule even when we're playing shows because we're traveling in tour buses or flying or whatever you, there's just a lot more time to yourself you know you realize like so much of touring especially when you're doing it all yourself, is just getting from place to place. I have a, I, oh man, I wish I could cite the friend who has this, the following line, because it's something I think of always, but I can't remember who told me this, who once had the line, like none of us get paid to play music. Like music is too intrinsically enjoyable. Yeah, we don't need to get paid for it. What we get paid for is all the bullshit we have to do in order to get to play music, you know, yeah. everything from the, the yeah. practicing. Yeah, totally. the, but especially on tour, it's like, you know, the actual playing of music is one twelfth of your waking hours in a, on a given day. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's totally. The, it's the getting from place to place, the setting up, the sound checking, make sure everything's good, rehearsing, you know, all that. But again, now that War on Drugs tours in a sort of more luxurious style than most bands certainly starting out or whatever, it affords you yeah. a lot of time to just do fun stuff, even when you are playing a show. So I saw you guys play at Primavera in Porto, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2018. Yep. Uh, I was playing with public service broadcasting. Oh, cool. I remember it being a very rainy day. I, I remember uh, that show, actually. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you guys were, were excellent. Uh, so uh, that was Thanks. great, yeah, no, the, great the, to see you guys live, yeah. It's always at a festival. Oh, it's raining. Is anyone yeah. going to come? Yeah. You know, because, like, the, sta it was, <laughs> the stage was, was nice enough that it would, the stage was dry, but we were, like, we were playing yeah. kind of late as the... Iberian That's Peninsula right. shows tend to go, and we were like, "Yeah, well," anyway. and it was a wonderful crowd. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Actually, I looked on on our sort of tour the thread, a WhatsApp thread we had for that, just to see. I was trying to remember what time I'd watched or just the, the details mm -hmm. of it. And it's interesting you're saying about the actual performance of a show is such a small part because um, I looked at the times. You know, on the WhatsApp thread, it's all, "Oh, where are we going to eat? See in the foyer." And then actually during the set. It's all the tour manager, the the like 
people on the side just texting going no, what's the frequency there's, there's no click in this here. no click quick someone turn <laughs> oh turn off the thing I, it, there's a thing playing uh, and, and there's all this mad stuff going on it was so funny to, to revisit yeah, no, that it, it, and, um, <laughs> that's sort of a perfect metaphor though that it's like you know your entire day is like hey what's a catering it's like this very sleepy <laughs> yeah. lethargic yeah. and then there's like 45 minutes of manic yeah. intensity and terrifying yeah. activity and stuff it's, yeah. yeah and it's raining it's on raining all the, band, and all the equipment. nothing's working so it's gonna explode everyone's gonna yeah. die yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, that was good and then after after that we went and watched nick cave oh that? my that god yes that. yeah i yeah. remember he was we did a couple primaveras that because they yeah that was it's sort of a brand now and i remember yeah, yeah i mean yeah that's nick nick cave and and especially for the way i like to make music and the kind of musician i think of myself as like warren ellis is the gold standard like for me i just think he is so amazing i mean the whole band is amazing who's warren ellis? He, he plays uh violin and and guitar tenor guitar I actually have a warren ellis tenor guitar right over oh, there cool. but, but he's the, he's sort of like the crazy he looks like sort of the the wizard of the band he has like okay. the flowing gray and black beard and long hair and he's always wearing i mean they're all wearing there was one time when we were on a plane with him it actually might have been that weekend or whatever but just a commercial flight where we get on we're like oh my god the bad seats are and it was just like it was so humbling because we just look like schlubs and they're <laughs> on this plane in their suits. But like, especially the way those yeah. guys wear suits, which is like at once like stylish and roguish or something. You know what I mean? They're yeah, just like, the, totally. you know, the, 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 no ties, the shirts, up, but they just look there. I was like, oh, these guys Loosh. are- these guys, Loosh, exactly. Yeah. These guys are, these guys, it's like, these guys are proper rock stars and we're just, you know, dopes. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cave and Warren Ellis make music together sort of in a couple, like Warren Ellis is in Grinderman too and they do some duet albums. They also uh, right. score films together and their film oh. scores are some of my favorite film scores ever. Well, seriously. They did that movie That's Hell or High Water the, and... um not the best film, but a really amazing score. It's the assass. It's a weird tale. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Do you oh, know yeah. that movie? It was from oh, a yeah, yeah. while ago. I saw that for Brad Pitt. I mean, that's an all-time film score. They're they're great. And like when I say like Warren Ellis is the musician, like I aspire to be like he doesn't sing. He's not so much a frontman, although his own band, The Dirty Three, is fantastic. But he's just like everything he's a part of, he contributes to creatively and elevates in this unique way. There, But I, I'm not taking anything away from Nick Cave either. Nick Cave is obviously a super genius. Long digression from your comment. I agree that Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are amazing. <laughs> They're amazing, yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's where you see yourself as the... I, I read in an interview you did in mm -hmm. 2011 with NPR. Oh, okay. And you, you were saying then you see yourself as a a better song doctor than song creator and you sort of feel more comfortable nurturing the seed rather hmm. than coming up with it. And I wonder, has that maybe changed over the years? Cause you're doing much more composition and songwriting. Well, it's funny. That's actually interesting being confronted with one's words. <laughs> I, yeah, mm. no, I, I, I think I'd, I'd still, yeah. uh, I still agree with that. I remember in your conversation with Kelly, he said something that really resonated with me that he's always been, he's always had trouble with like the blank page, you know, just like waking up and creating something from nothing. That's definitely been always an issue for me. Like I've never been the kind of creator who just has this specific fully formed thing already inside of me that I need to get out. I mean, nothing is ever fully formed, but you know what I mean? This thing that like, I have this idea and I have to bring it to fruition. I've always been better. Yeah. Like you were saying, working with people, being part of a collaboration. I've always just loved collaborating on music and other things. So but then, answer, oh, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. I, I, no, I, I was just going to say to one. Prattle. No, no, I was going to ask you if that was why in particular you'd be drawn towards writing film scores, for example, where you've given like this, you've got this foundation to work with. and That's exactly where I was going. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, when I found film scoring, I had some friends who sort of steered me in that direction starting in about 2014, 2015. And once I started doing it, I was like, oh, fuck, I wish I'd been doing this my whole <laughs> life. This is perfect. This is so good. <laughs> yeah. Precisely because, yeah, um, it, it helps with that. There's always a jumping off point, whether 
sometimes it's a problem how defined a jumping off point is, but there's temp music usually, you know, so that gives you an idea of some science that, like I said, that can actually be constricting sometimes, but even just like having a film, having images to compose to or dialogue or mood to try to work with and a director, editor, people to, it's another form of collaboration, but yeah, yeah. So that's been great. And to answer your question though, Seb, I have sort of found a lot more, as I've been doing more of that, I have gotten more interested in working on my own voice and like working on creating stuff that is more my own. And like, yeah, for the first time, and maybe it's a pandemic thing too, but for the first time ever, I've started like noodling around with some stuff that maybe would be an album of my own. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, but like, that's exciting. Right. But yeah, it's just been, it's that's- honestly like whether or not it comes out into the world, it, it actually has been fun thinking about music. I mean, playing my music literally my whole life and, and then doing it in middle age in a new way has been really, really cool. So I really relate to that myself, actually, because I think... I think I've done a similar kind of thing playing for lots of different people um, and just, you know, just going all over the place and whatever, but not really focusing. I mean, I talked about this with Kelly as well, and I've always had this hankering to like compose something. And again, that blank page thing is just really tricky. I, it's really I tough. I can't do it. But recently I've, um, my, my older brother's he's, he's written a script for something oh. and we're he's actually we're putting he's putting on like a play and he's, he needs some music for it so me and my brother have been writing and have just having a bit of Im- impetus and like a framework um and just giving yourself well th- there are financial uh, limits so there's like a little bit of money so and we know what instruments we can play and the equipment we've got so within we, we sat down for like three hours and we just wrote a few things and we actually we actually wrote some good stuff i think yeah. and it's the first time that's that well that we've been asked to write some music and that's it's it's so it's so brilliant it's such a really um yeah it's really <laughs> really great so i'm really hoping that i do have it in me and that hopefully more stuff like that can come along it's fun i'm curious like it does that experience that you're describing is very similar to my own and like it does force it's forced me to i mean confront is too strong a word but at least question what's been holding me back or like it's not even holding me back i've never it's not like i've you know it's not like i've been like oh i'm too scared i've the what if people don't like it i really don't think it's that kind of thing it's just it is interesting as a musician like sort of interrogating those creative pathways and like where does stuff come from and why do i need something to get going and that kind of thing it's just been it's been interesting yeah, but you've like dealt with so many different genres with your film writing. Like, so it's clearly not a case of like feeling sort of stuck down one path. Like if I looking back at like you've done horror movies, and then yeah. more recently I see that was there one it's set it's set in Malta recently. Is that right? It's yeah. Lutsu. So Lutsu, you know, quite yeah. yeah, quite different genres and things. Do you have the same sort of approach to all of no, those? No, well, see, you- so my problem has. Ne- if anything, my problem's been the opposite of what you're what you were implying. That like I've always just liked too much stuff and right. done too many different things, and it's sort of like what is what's what am I focusing on here? Actually, it's oh, like okay. I started work working on an album or the beginning is what might be an album. It's been fun to be like, okay, this needs to be like a thing. What's the thing? What's the sound? Like all my favorite records, there's variety within them, but there's a sound. So what's the sound? And I when what I was just saying, like, as I've been getting into like, what, why haven't I made an album of my own? I think that's actually been one of the primary problems that I just like a bunch of things like it. And working in film to answer your question is, has been awesome because East project offers its own little world. I think there are some film composers who get hired to do one thing and they kind of do that thing over and over again. I'm not, I'm not nearly famous enough to get hired to do one thing. There's no one thing someone knows me for. Um, And again, it's just a good fit. Like I've always been the kind of musician who can do a little bit of a lot of different things. So yeah, yeah, I love the palette composition process at the beginning of a score where you sort of just sort of think of like, again, sort of like analogous to an album, what's the sound? What I like... All the best film scores have this defined sonic world, right? Yeah. So that's always the first step for me. What instruments am I using? What am I trying to evoke? What what rhythms, what genres, that kind of thing. And you do really try to cull it down as much as possible. But then what's fun about film scoring is like, at least the way I do, is like each project kind of has its own 
Sonic world, and then you get to really explore that world, and then you leave it, and you do something totally different for the next film, which is really fun. I was listening to the main theme of um, the film Boo, and it's okay. <laughs> it's it's awesome. I love it. Oh. It's got like that. Is it, is it what kind of? It's like flute sound at the beginning, but oh. it's like it sounds like a bass. Is it like a bass flute or is it a recorder? I was Good kind of like ears. That this is why I hey. love this podcast. No yes. one else is going to catch that. Get it in. is. It's some ba- <laughs> it's some bass flute and some bass yeah. clarinet, and then those same things run through. Do you, are you familiar with the software Paul Stretch? I'm not. Paul Stretch, it's a must download for anyone who likes messing around with music. It's like an ancient piece of software. I think it's from the late 90s, and it's just one of those things that stuck around. It's software that can slow down time stretch music by incredible factors. Do you remember there was like a little fad? I feel like it was like five years ago or something where it was like, Justin Bieber slowed down 40 times yeah. and it just sounded like doom metal or something. Like, that was all Paul stretch. It, it, yeah. it, it has its like talk a about, granular. Yeah. Um, it's like a grant. I actually it? don't know the, the algorithms they use, but for whatever reason, you're able to slow things down by factors much larger than traditional time stretching software. And yeah, so I took some bass flute and like, slowed it down 30 times or something and it just creates this demonic like yeah i love it it's so so great it's really eerie thank you you, wow you won an award for that didn't you congratulations well yeah a a small film festival award a horror film festival that's great yeah Yeah. that was fun i'll take it you know quite yeah i'd love to go (laughs) into a bit of detail about your sort of process and your your environment when you're writing these things so i can see behind you you've got an incredible looking studio. Yeah, it looks like uh, a music shop. It looks it's immense. Exactly. It's a it shop with Phil Parker's in London, and it looks yeah, just like it, really it looks does. a little, little too much like a music shop. And this actually, it's it's um, it's fairly new. My family and I moved in the middle of the pandemic uh, last. last well, I guess actually more now towards the beginning of the pandemic, in July of last year. Um, we bought a house for the first time. Congratulations. Which yeah. allowed me for the first time. Thanks. Um, which allowed me for the first time to convert the garage into a little studio and actually have a nice space. Because I'd been using sort of um, jerry-rigged spaces my whole life, you know, in rentals. And so, as am I right now. <laughs> you can see my, the duvet hanging behind my head. <laughs> no, but it's easy. Like, you know, in re- I was always in rentals and you just, at least I yeah. was never like, well, I'm not going to invest in soundproofing this room. Why? We're going to leave here. Why, why would I pay for that? Yeah. But yeah, so I, I had the garage converted and I live in Los Angeles. And one of the r- many nice things about Los Angeles, there's just so much music out here and there's so much professional music. There are people... Yeah who know how to do everything there you know it's like i feel like if i were living in another city and i wanted to convert my garage into like a nice sounding studio it would be like well where do i get someone to do that and in la it's like oh there are 15 different people i can call who will <laughs> yeah do i start but point being did it was thinking totally pragmatically i have a ton of instruments i didn't want them lying around the floor how can we get them off the floor oh there we can put some slat wall on the wall and hang them but now step two is i have to vibe this out a little bit because it does look too much like <laughs> the band room at a guitar center you know which is which i also will point out is always the lamest room i mean i'm a horn player but even i will admit that you walk into like a, a music store and it's like oh these guitars are cool oh the, the, the synth room that's really cool and then it's like welcome to the band room we have, <laughs> we have all the all the student woodwinds you could want to try you know so yeah i, I have to change the vibe a little bit but they're gleaming no. those instruments though. They look smart. Oh, yeah. it's like how, nice. how do you how do you keep them shiny and not full of dust and sort of go all kind I mean, of brown? I, I use them and I try like I do try to sort of like oh, yeah, just practice use them, stuff use in my them. studio. But oh, no, yeah. no, well actually I don't Whoops. practice I don't practice the brass enough. But like but I, I don't know. They're not that shiny. It must be the light or something. Because they really there's there's a there's a there's a good patina on a lot of them. So mm. love um, a good patina. <laughs> John, I was reading that you play in excess of 30 instruments. Like we can see a lot of them there, but I'm just wondering, like, th- plus 30 instruments, can you name them all? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's cheating a little bit, right? Because, like, first of all, and I say this with no false modesty, but especially in a, your podcast where you talk to real musicians, the word play encompasses a wide spectrum i mean i say again i I say like i i'm primarily a woodwind player by training like i can i will say like am i 
the absolute greatest sax player in the world? No, but I'm like a professional sax player. Like I can really play saxophone and I, yeah. I, I can really play slightly lesser degree clarinet and flute and, you know, woodwind doubles and stuff. I can play those instruments in, oh, it, you know, the way you and other musicians would think of the word play. But then when it comes to like other instruments, it's a sliding scale for me. Like <laughs> I, I'm actually pretty good on electric bass. That's kind of the other instrument I've played a lot in bands, but can't play fretless or upright. And then the brass stuff, right? Like this is where I start answering your question. Like, can you name all the instruments you play? Well, like I'm a terrible brass player. Seb, if you heard me play, you would just be like, Jesus fucking Christ. Why is this guy even... <laughs> bothering like but you know and this comes from hanging out with kelly um and playing a lot with him you know like i have developed like uh whatever my brass abilities are they're kind of even across all brass instruments with the exception of french horn which is a beast i was gonna ask about that yeah yeah but but like um (laughs) but you know so when you say like wow you can play 30 instruments like yeah well i have you know i have like a a trumpet and a flugelhorn and a euphonium. And are we going to say that the euphonium and the, uh, the, the four valve euphonium and the, like the three valve sort of slightly yeah. different bore euphonium over there, different instruments. I have a trombone and a couple valve trombones are those different instruments. You know what I mean? Like if you really, you, you got that factoid, I'm sure from my bio or something. Well, yeah, but I was going to say, if I was doing my CV, I'd definitely list them all. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but you can inflate yeah. the numbers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I play, I play mandolin and electric mandolin. You know, but in, in all seriousness, like I like, um, you can't. I could tilt the screen, but like I have just all these weird stringed instruments of the world. You know, like guitars and uh, requinto guitar. I'm looking at domra, uh, a quattro, a vihuela. A couple of you know, you, I'm actually oh because of Beirut, I'm actually annoyingly proficient on ukulele i say annoyingly because like what is the point of that like <laughs> what, yeah, yeah the golden periods <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, did, yeah. it certainly did in the early 2000s israel kamakawale Wale, is that yeah, yeah 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. great he's great I, mean, I don't know if you're saying that right but i know who you mean i don't he's think fen- I am. he's phenomenal <laughs> Um, I petered off halfway through. I'm sorry. What's on the other side of the wall? You look okay, like, you look so like so this is. Or... I mean, I can tilt. I, I can tilt Go my on. computer. Yeah. Let's see. Let's so, see. Uh, oh no, actually, I can't. Let's see I, a door. So, so, oh, yeah, it's you, a it's, move it's there. Not that there's another monitor, so I'm not going to be able to. So uh, over there is like acoustic stuff. I have like banjos, acoustic guitars. The lap steel guitar, and then over here is like electric stuff, like electric bass. I have synths. You can oh, you can see a little bit of the synth world. You can see your analog synth. Yeah, there. yeah. This is like, mm, cool. I mean, this is, I'm a, as you guys have no doubt learned, I, I can digress with the best of them. You had originally asked, I think, like what my composition process is like. This is always, oh, right. oh no, it's not my oh, fault. This, I steered you off onto like, naming um, instruments. This is like, uh, this area is always <laughs> like what I think of as like the action station. I sort of set up yes. stuff that I'm working on. So this is, I'm working on a sci-fi score right now and there's a lot of cool pulsy cool. synth stuff happening Ooh. um yes that's so good but yeah my, my process is really like one thing i love another like i said when i first started doing film scoring seriously i was like oh this is such a good fit for me i love that you have to do music every day like a typical film score you're writing about two sometimes even three minutes of music a day you know and you just can't really slack off it becomes like i've always loved thinking of music as a craft more than inspiration. Like there always has to be real inspiration, right? To make music good. It always, there always has to be something special to make music special. Um, But I do love that aspect of like, okay, time to clock in, wake up, work on something, try to like get to that point of inspiration rather than just like letting it descend and, you know, sort of waiting for it. So yeah, my process is I get into the studio in the morning and I have, um, I will digress for a sec. There's a, I think he's British. Edge, oh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Shimer? Shermer? Sure, no, not Ed Sheeran. He's a film, compo- <laughs> he's a film composer. Ed Shermer? Right. Um, anyway, but I once was at a panel, I once went to this like, uh, at a film festival, there was like a bunch of composers talking about their craft and he had this great, he's like, one advice I give to all my, all young film composers is always end every night in the middle of something. 
So you have something to start on the next day, and it, which I've found really helpful. Like the night before, I'm, I always like, I'm either in the middle of something or I set up the beginning of a queue to work on the next day. So there's no like getting to the studio of like, because I am, I'm, can get distracted very easily, especially with all these toys around. And if I don't have oh, something yeah. like to do, it's like, oh, I'll just noodle, see if anything. And then all of a sudden it's like 1 p.m. and I'm just been playing like, you know, guitar through a delay pedal for two hours or whatever. <laughs> I, in terms of my process, I just, I try to set tasks and you know, you have so many minutes of music you have to get through this week, this month, this, you know, and, and you just, I just try to go through it. And if something isn't coming, you know, you Again, another thing I love about film music is you really try to take, or I try, really try to take, I think everyone who works on film music does, you try to take this holistic approach to the score where you really like, another piece of good advice I got from a friend is like, I make a little visual map of the score before I start, you know, where you sort of see the arc of things and where all the little themes are and stuff. And you can, if I'm working on something and it just isn't happening, if I'm not getting to that point of inspiration, you can be like, okay. I know this, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, like press pause on this and move to this other area thing, but you just keep working and I try to do it every day. Is there one score that you've done in particular that really stands out to you as one you think, oh yes, that's exactly... Well, can I mention two? I'll mention yeah, two. absolutely. Um, yes, you may. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying like, it's sort of what I said a while ago, like I really wish I'd started doing this a long time ago and I'm really loving, it feels like a great fit for me I feel like I'm doing good work, but I still am very aware that I have a ton to learn. And even the scores I did a few years ago, I'm like, uh, oh, wow, yeah, I could have done that. I mean, everyone's like that with stuff they made a while ago. I get yeah. that. Um, but all that I mentioned to say is that like two of the most recent scores I've done, I'm really, really happy with. Uh, one is is the one you uh, mentioned, Lutsu, yeah. which is... Yes. Uh, it's... A Maltese movie. So the director is actually American. The writer and director is American, but he was raised, he's American Maltese. His parents are are from Malta and they would go back there a lot. And he made this, it's a beautiful movie. Like it's just such a gorgeous movie. It's sort of neo-realist and all, all the, it's a, it's a narrative feature. It's a fiction film, but all the actor it's about fishermen in Malta and all the actors are actually are fishermen from Malta. None of them oh, are trained are, are trained actors and they're incredible with the direct they're amazing with the director pulled out of them as I me. Mean, he's a really, really talented director. We had a great time. I felt very simpatico with him from the moment we first I, I essentially sort of auditioned for the film. Like we we interviewed and I sent him some stuff and I, from the moment I was really hoping to get it because I just felt a connection with him and with the project and it just came out. I, I'm really happy with the way the score came out. It's very minimalist. I got some great friends to play on it. This wonderful harpist, Mary Lattimore, who's great. This wonderful cellist in LA, Ro Rowan. This wonderful violinist, PJ Cartwright. I was working on it during the last year of the pandemic and it was just such it, you know especially when things were so dark it was just really incredible to have this project I was working on that brought me a lot of joy and I'm happy with how the music came out yeah what kind of style is it what's the, it, what's I, the kind I, of I mean it's, it's hard so so okay the movie takes place entirely in Malta the it's entirely in Maltese and I think one of the ways in which the director and I connected is that he was interviewing a lot of composers, and I think a lot of them had this idea of like, oh, cool, it takes place in Malta. I'm going to learn all these traditional Maltese instruments and make it all like Malta, you know? And yeah. whereas when I was looking at the film he sent and where he had put the temp music, it really seemed to me that the music, the role that the score played in the film was to kind of transcend the film, to evoke these kind of essential human emotional things precisely not be tethered to the environment so like i really want to make it sound like a little mystical and celestial but not I, when i say the word mystical i think synths or something pampipes or synths there's no everything with a couple of exceptions is live and then um i really wanted each instrument to have a voice so like i said there's harp it's like this small sort of odd ensemble where it's harp, cello, violin, bass flute. I place a lot of bass flute 
And then again, there's some electronics, some like granular synthesis adding like atmospheric weirdness. But it really like I wanted it to feel, yeah, just just sort of like otherworldly and trans uh, transporting. In terms of what it sounds like, I'm trying to think. Is there any reference? If you know, I mean, there's a lot of harp. If you know Mary Lattimore's music, she's she has a bunch of great albums. I was definitely. Oh, I'm going to check her out. I was yeah. thinking of her music a lot as I was writing it. Um, but it's great. It, uh, the movie's great, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. And that comes out sometime next year. And oh, the other, cool. oh, sometime this year actually, I think. Um, and then the other movie I'll quickly mention. This was like the first bummer of the pandemic for me. I wrote the score for this movie that was I was really excited about. I was really excited about this the movie, which is called No Future, and it was going to date. It was going to debut at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival in March of 20 or April of 2020, you know, it was one of those things that we were t- I was talking to the directors and we were so excited and it's, oh, it's going to be so great. And then it was like all of us. It was like, Oh, is this going to happen? Oh yeah. It's probably going to happen. Right. They're not going to cancel it. And then it's like, Oh yeah, this is definitely not happening. <laughs> and, and, and again, people had a lot Lot, lot, lot heavier problems than, oh, this film I scored won't have its festival debut. <laughs> Dear me, my life is ruined. Um, but uh, uh, but it was a bummer. And thankfully now, so they're doing the Tribeca Film Festival actually next month, another year oh, of it, and with a new slate of film, but they are screening all the films from last year that didn't get a public screening. Because it was, it was held virtually and stuff, but it's not the same. Anyway, that's a score I'm really, really, really excited about. It's this sort of dark drama with an incredible cast. Catherine Keener is in it. And, um, yeah. Char- Char- um, am I getting his name right? Charlie Heaton? Is that his name? Yeah. Now, he's that British guy actor, from- yeah? Is that- uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. in Stranger Things. Um, yeah. You know, he's like the uh, cool uh. older brother in Stranger Things. He oh, yeah. is phenomenal in this film it's like it's this dark story about sort of heroin addiction and death and stuff and it's uh and stuff you know and stuff um but yeah uh but it's a really wonderful intimate movie about this sort of well i won't spoil anything it's it's Catherine keener and charlie heaton are phenomenal it's it's really their film and there are, there are other great actors in it too but like um and that score also it's I, I do I think I like very like emotive emotional drama kind of films and those kinds of scores and this yeah. is in this is in that same world you know it's not a wacky rom-com but this was a film a lot more electronic but still um I got that cellist again Row Rowan they're fantastic um and then uh, William Tyler, who's a really great guitar player. Uh, he has cool albums too. I highly recommend checking out. Um, yeah, they came over to my place and this is my old place before you know, my much more dilapidated catch as catch can studio in my <laughs> studio, doing the air quotes yeah. in my old <laughs> rental. And yeah, it just felt really good. And that one I used, um, this weird thing that describes itself as a cassette synthesizer the on magnetique this guy in new orleans makes it's this really cool you know um it's basically like this weird sort of diy mellotron e thing where you take an actual yeah. it come he, he's modified these actual sort of cassette players um you know they're like the dictaphones that yeah. stuff uh, you know and that yeah. that they have a speed control Right. You can like, you know, if you're transcribing, like their original purpose was oh, like yeah. if you're transcribing right, right. whatever your interviews, you can play it at double speed and like whatever, try, type it out. So he's modified these things so you can control that speed control with a little sort of keyboard like thing. And so you, what you do is you make, it comes with a few, but the real fun is making, you make these drone tapes, like actual cassettes, and you put them in. And then you're sort of playing that drone with the keyboard and you get this like really magical sort of warped cassette, not oh, really great. in tune. It's great. It's a really cool. As a child of the 80s, that really chimes with me. Yeah, it, it, you say it, cassette, I'm happy. Uh, I'll send you a link. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And it's just, as you can say, like I do like getting inspired 
like fundamentally as a musician, I'm inspired by timbre, you know? So I do really love finding a weird little instrument, be it a horn or a synthesizer or some weird thing someone made and seeing like, what is, what is the music that's in this thing? You know what I mean? Or at least what is the music that I can find in this thing? And so with that score in particular, that piece of technology, as well as a granular synth, I use a lot, the GR1, which is awesome. GR1. I'm going to write, write these down. Well, I'm, I'm recording it, so it's fine. Again, it's pretty minimal palette. I do like writing more maximalist stuff, but these two scores in particular were very, as very much like, let's stay limited. You know, I mean, you, let's, let's try to have each idea be very succinctly stated and expressed. And so, yeah, in both of these scores, actually, I don't think I'd made this connection before, but they're rarely more than like four or five or six elements in a queue. It's very, very pared down, which which I like. Yeah. And are all those decisions, are they as a sort of inspiration from the film? Are you, you're not going into something with a preconceived idea or it'd be cool to use that tape thing on a film. Maybe I could do it on this one. Or is it something in the film that goes, ah, oh, and it leads you Yeah, to that's that. a good question. I think the latter, yeah. You, you sort of try to let the film, you know, suggest a world to you, right? And then work from there. You don't, want to be like i really want to use this you know i feel like in anything film or like working on a song or an arrangement you don't want to be like like as a trumpet player right it's pretty cool to hit that double high e but you don't want to be like (laughs) i gotta hit that double high e you know because to show off what i can do in this arrangement that never leads to good things (laughs) so with that specific choice it's such a weird specific instrument that I must have been aware of it at some point. And I think I was just looking as a, the film is really dark emotionally and just in terms of the look of it in a really cool way. And I kind of wanted these sounds that felt sort of blurred and hazy and evocative and full of like the sound of memory. And I think the more I, I, I thought of yeah. that, I was like, oh, tape, cassette, warped melodies and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it felt right. Another thing I love about film scoring is I love problem solving. Like I love puzzles, logic puzzles and games and stuff like that. And there's always an element of that in film scoring in a variety of ways. You know, the, the, the time constraints, you know, it's like, how do I make this work in a minute and a half? How do I make, I need to hit that beat in the scene. What tempo do I use? What tempo map do I use? So that hits right there, like little stuff like that. But then bigger picture stuff like, what is the reality of the budget here? What is the reality of the process? Like, if I if it's a fast turnaround score, you know, if you have to like write a bunch of music in a month and a half, do you wanna record other people? Do you ha- how can you make that work? But then you're right, like you try to solve that problem at the outset, and then as you get deeper and deeper, you sometimes get into unforeseen problems that your solution doesn't solve, and you have to rework things and stuff. But I've never been in a situation. Where it's like, oh, fuck, I didn't think I'd need an orchestra and now I have to find $30,000 to hire an orchestra or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see. You talk about time constraints there. And, and I was just wondering when you're, does it ever work out that you're trying to score a film when you're away on tour with the band? And, and how does that work? Yeah. Can, you, can you be writing and working when you're away on the road? You know, it's so funny. I've been thinking a lot about that because, like, War on Drugs, hopefully, will be going back on the road sometime soon. And now I'm starting to do slightly bigger movies. And I'm sort of wondering, like, how will I be able to do that? The answer to your question in the past was, yeah, I would because I was really just starting out on on scoring. I mean, to, to back up a sec, I had recorded with War on Drugs. I played with them live a couple times. I'd recorded this really uh, recording session that just felt awesome. A couple sessions that just felt awesome. And I really liked them, but I never thought I'd be joining the band. It came along, that that came along at a time. I'd been in New York my whole adult life. My wife and I had kind of reached the point that a lot of people get to New York where we were like in our early 30s and like, what's the plan here? You know what I mean? We live in this tiny apartment. She was kind of hating her job. Like, are we really? And then out of the blue, she got uh, a really cool job offer in Chicago that was really unexpected. We never considered moving to Chicago, but we're like, okay, this is the universe giving us something. And it was at a time when I had been touring. I had a year left of the David Byrne St. Vincent tour. I had been in a trio of my own called Yellow Ostrich. That was really great. I love those guys and I love the music we made. I'm really proud of it. But it also was like, 
we'd been slogging out in a van for a while. Again, I was in my early getting to mid thirties. I've been in bands touring literally since I was 15. And like, I was just like ready for something new. So this was like, uh, I, I was going to move to Chicago. I'd had these friends who had been steering me towards film scoring. I was like, this is great. You know what I mean? I have this year of David Byrne left. I sort of had this is going to be a great, you know, farewell to the world of touring. And I'm really going to dive into film scoring. And that's going to be my life. It's going to be great. And then War on Drugs, when that album that I'd recorded for was getting ready to come out, Adam, who's the leader of War on Drugs, was like, do you want to do, do you want to play some shows with us? And I literally was like, well, I don't want to do a tour. You know, I'm not joining another band, but like, I'll do like, we'll do, he, he was like, well, st- we have some shows starting on the East Coast. Why don't we, you do those with us? And then we drive out to Chicago, we'll drop you in Chicago and that'll be your like block. And it was great. But then immediately when we started rehearsing for those shows, I was like, oh fuck, this feels awesome. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> yes. these guys are great. This music is great. I love playing this. Oh no. And I was very fortunate. You know, these, these are obviously incredibly lucky problems to have as a musician, but then it sort of, I fit well, the six piece band that had really formed for that, those, it felt like a band. And it, it was like, I joined the band, all of which I'm mentioning because I still was like very much committed to this idea of like not being dependent on being in a band or being on tour for, for my livelihood. Right. I'd done that my whole life. I was just ready for a new challenge. So I was really committed to scoring, to, to sort of trying to develop this career, this new career. Really, actually, it was, I I started dabbling. I mean, I was still so new to it. When we, I was doing my first bit of war on drugs touring in 2014, 2015, I was doing a little bit of scoring. But then by the time the second album I was a part of came along and the touring for that, which is the one you saw, said like 2017, 2018, I was like more fully invested. I was just like taking any job I could. Very long answer question. I was scoring all the time on the road and it was, Hard. The the war on drugs guys would joke. I would always in every venue set up a little area they would call the work hole. That was like some, <laughs> some you know, because like yeah. the one darkest, dirtiest dressing room that no one was using, you know. And I'd like set up my laptop and my hard drive, and my keyboard, and I'd be writing. And then I mean, when the bass player likes to joke, he's like, "Work hole mummy museum." That was like my days because I was always <laughs> you know going to some like weird museum. You know, I'd be like, oh, "I got to go to the mummy museum." And then you know, and then I come back and. <laughs> be working again but yeah it was hard what's funny is i was sure my work was being compromised like i was sure i was like well i gotta take these jobs but i can't be doing a good job you know just composing in like the three hours between sound check and the show and dinner you know and i actually look back on some of the scores i wrote like purely in hotel rooms and venues. And I'm like really happy with how they turned out. <laughs> they kind of turned yeah. out better in a lot of ways. I don't, I, I, and I don't know if that's just happenstance, if it was just like movies that I was well suited for, or if there it's is that some, problem solving again. It's the problem. Solving, but it's also, <laughs> yeah. there is that thing about like, and this goes back to like where we started with like the blank page problem. It's like structure can be good, right? Yeah. It's like that I'm massacring it, but there's this that famous Stravinsky quote that you need rules, right? Right. He had, he had like, like rules are what make music. Like freedom is the enemy of music. There's more to discuss there, but like, but point being, I do think there's something clarifying about being like, I have three hours today to write something, and you really like my brain would really get focused. My my ear, you know, wherever music comes from, brain, ear, heart, whatever, would really get focused. And I, I found it really clarifying. And yeah, we'll see how that works out with this next bit of touring. Well, I think we should leave it there on the cliffhanger. Oh, shall we? And yeah. I wonder if he will find out a way to compose on the road. Oh, absolutely. Do you think oh. he'll answer it in the next episode? Probably not, actually. It's a bit the, soon, the next isn't it? <laughs> that he recorded three seconds Literally later. Three seconds hmm. after. <laughs> it's like time travel, this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Spoiler alert, uh, he doesn't work it out in this next half. But... <laughs> but stay tuned, guys, because next bit will be in your podcast feed very soon. Or if you can't wait and you're a massive John Natchez War on Drugs fan, then head on over to the Patreon and we've got loads of fun stuff over there. We have. Mainly bonus episodes with every guest that we chat to. Every guest since Alice Kent, I'll say that. Yes. Okay. And we what number all was the that? Way up to Jesse Grimes. Yes. And then 
no more. Then we did Rob Brydon. Yeah. And then we did, uh, maybe it was Alice after that. Is there no bonus Brydon? Oh. No bonus Brydon. God, we didn't think that through well, no. did we? No, Darn. that was bad business. <laughs> it really was bad business. <laughs> bad business. But hey, if you want to check out Rob Brydon's episode with us, if you're new to the podcast, go and check that out. That was a great chat we had in his garden. Mm. Uh, we've got loads of really interesting chats. If you want to go back to listen to Kelly Pratt. Yes. Go and do that. Tom Carlson. Yeah. These are all kind of related to John. Who else do we have related? We haven't done one with David Byrne yet. or um, Oh, no, we haven't yet. Maybe one day. Come on. They're on the hit list, aren't they? (laughs) Abby Portner. Yes. Yeah. That was a few weeks ago. That was a really lovely chat. I don't know if they're friends or not. John Natchez and her. I do not know. They are now on different coasts, aren't they? So, But she was in LA, so quite feasible. You never know. Yeah. Well, um, thanks so much for listening. And have a lovely few days or a few minutes if you're on the podcast. Oh, my stomach's going again. Is it? Honest to goodness. Right, we better get on with this because Phyllis needs to eat some food. Oh, it's terrible. Is it like, are you hungry or are you like... Yeah, I'm, no, no, I'm hungry. It's the hunger pain. It's hung, hungry. <laughs> okay. Oh, right, God. We're going to get on with the next Yeah, come on, now. quick, quick. Uh, <laughs> see you later. See you in part two. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 